Hello, 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 Rise to Purpose Nation. My name is David Rochelle III, and I am your host. I want to start off today with the very first episode after the intro and telling you something near and dear to me that changed my life forever. It all started on December 23rd, 2005. I was standing there in a suit, facing forward. I was just really anxious about what was about to happen. I looked over my shoulder to see my mom and dad sitting behind me. And the next words that came about was all rise. So everyone's standing. And then of course we're told that we can sit down. And at that very moment, the judge sitting in front of me said that, all right, Mr. Rochelle, please stand. And at that point, I heard the words in the case of the state of Maryland against David Rochelle III, I find you guilty of second degree assault. And I am sentencing you to 10 years and everything went silent before I heard the gavel bang again. And that was the next sound that I actually heard. Shortly after that, I was being handcuffed and marched into a holding cell. And believe it or not, I was going to prison. Now, I had no idea that this was about to happen because during the previous months, I've been going through a pre-sentencing in investigation where they were essentially taking a look at my behavior, my character, who I was, and just, you know, just really diving deep into who David Rochelle III is and was as a person to determine what are the sentencing guidelines that should be extended in this particular case. And after that pre-sentencing investigation, I was told by the my attorney and the prosecutor that, well, based on the guidelines, you'll get maybe six months of probation sentenced to with an addition of anger management. And I'm like, okay, that's not bad. I'm like, I can accept that. But here I'm sitting in this cell, this holding cell, and I'm like, did I hear that right? This judge actually sentenced me to 10 years? What the fuck is going on here? So from there, I was asked to remove my clothes. I was put into an inmate suit, a super, super orange inmate suit. I'm like, this, this is the orangest inmate suit I've ever seen before. I don't think they can get it that orange even on TV. But I was placed in, I was forced to put on this inmate suit and I was marched to a jail cell. And I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, I was, I was just utterly confused because my mom and dad were sitting in the stands because I was supposed to be going home for Christmas. Yeah, I was supposed to be going home for Christmas because everything up until that point was leaning towards probation based on my actions, and I was going to go home. But no, this judge, this particular judge decided to make an example out of me. And I didn't understand what the significance of this particular action would take place on my life until later on. 
And I'll get to that. So I was in a state of denial. You know, if, if you've ever been in that situation, there, there's no way to really wrap your head around it or explain to you what it feels like to be in a cold cell to have handcuffs on you, knowing that you are not that person. You see these people on TV, it's like, I am not that person. To have those handcuffs so secure on your wrist, you're like, okay, I don't want to move because I feel like if I move, it's going to tighten and it's going to get even more uncomfortable. There's no amount of illustration or words that I can give to you to just explain how horrified I was to be in that position. So then as I'm being moved, fingerprinted, as I'm, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm being assigned my new role as inmate. I had to begin to realize either I can go one drastic route and I can end it all because this is not who I am. This is not what I want to be known for. This will not be my legacy or I can accept God's will and see this through. And so for those of you who are out there who are my my fraternity brothers and Omega Psi Phi fraternity, you understand what I say when I say, see it through. And so I accepted God's will. I began to be transferred through the penal system. And I wasn't just in jail because remember, I was sent to 10 years. And so I began being moved through the prison system. And I finally got a chance to really sit down with my attorney to understand what was going on. Because as I mentioned, my hearing went silent after he said 10 years. I'm like, can you imagine somebody saying, okay, you're going to be locked up for 10 years? I thought I was going to pass out. So he explained to me that the judge suspended eight of those years and I had to serve two of those years. And I was like, wow, that's still a long time of my life. But he was like, you can make, you can make this. And so I'm like, okay, uh, well, let me, let me go at it. I'm like, let me, let me see what I can do. Let me see if you can get me out of here. You know, I wanted to see the quickest route I can get out of there. And so I, I was going through the, I was going through the penal system. I was, I was adjusting. And, you know, although they call it the department of corrections, there was no correction taking place there. There was not enough programs there. There were not enough C, COs that were there, correctional officers, for those of you who may not be familiar. There was just simply not enough resources there to really help the inmates who needed help. But there was just enough to make sure that they stayed in order and that they stayed locked up. And I will say that from personal experience. So I began to adjust. I began to realize that, you know what? This is where I'm going to be. But at the same time, there's no reason for me not to be me. Rise of Purpose Nation, I did not change who I was. I continued to be the authentic me that I knew that I was. And every day that I began to really just embrace that and take hold of that, I was constantly being introduced. And I say introduced, I'm saying that these are people that God was putting in front of me. I was being introduced to people that I needed to help. And so I began to really, really begin to understand a heart and a spirit of service. So I began serving others. I informally began tutoring guys, tutoring other inmates as far as helping them with their GED. So I began helping them in in all subject matters. And eventually 
the correctional officers took note of me helping and they eventually assigned me to a school that they had at one of the um, at one of the prisons. And so I began as a, you know, a, a, a essentially a student aide. That's essentially what it was. So I was a student aide and I was helping out and, you know, I felt good to really be helping others because these individuals that I was coming across, the majority of them black, they, they weren't going to have this opportunity once they re-enter society to really sit down and focus on getting an education, to understanding the basics of what they need for, you know, mathematics, being able to read, you know, from a literate perspective and other skills that are just simply basic necessities in life. And so I had an opportunity to give while I was there and serve others despite my circumstances. And I took advantage of that. Later on, I began to, you know, go to church. You know, I, I figured that, you know, I needed to make sure that my soul was continuously fed and that I stayed close to God. So I started going to this little church service that they had every Sunday morning. It was early in the morning. It was eight o'clock and I, I made it a point to be there. Eventually, I became the church lead. So if you can believe it or not, I was in a, 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 a pastor role. And so I was responsible for meeting and greeting the church volunteers that would come in every Sunday to provide church services for us. But prior to that, we would have our own little church service where I would you know, provide scripture. We even had a little uh, chorus, believe it or not. I was in the chorus and no, I cannot sing, but I was singing for my soul. I was singing for others and I was just doing the best that I could. So fast forward as I'm going through that, and that's essentially what I was doing, education and spiritual leadership. Fast forward, I come to the school one day and the door's locked. So I'm waiting patiently for the correctional officer to come and open up the door and uh, also you know, make sure that they were in there with me. And so he comes and he's like, okay, Rochelle, um, I'm going to open up the door for you, you know, just go ahead and do what you do. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting and odd at the same time, because inmates are never to be left alone in any building whatsoever. But I had earned the trust of the correctional officers there, including that of the, the head guy. And so they trusted that I was going to go in there and I was going to do what needs to be done. So I walked into the classroom that I would normally be assisting the primary teacher and sitting on the desk that I normally sat at was a magazine. And this magazine was for electronic health rec records. So EMRs, electronic health records, the electronic medical records, it's just sitting there on a desk. It has no address on it. It's not addressed to anyone. And I'm like, I pick it up and I start flipping through it and so then who knows how long it was, but, you know, a few minutes later, the, you know, the staff begins to show up and I begin to ask questions. I'm like, is this for you? Is this for you? Does this belong to someone? You know, uh, I would love to have it if it doesn't belong to anyone. And they gave it to me. And here's the thing. That magazine had never been present of the many days that I had been there. It had never been there, but it showed up that fateful morning where things were just not where they should be or it was business as usual. So I picked it up, I grabbed it, I read it, and I began learning about electronic health records. I became extremely interested in healthcare and 
what was going on, what was supposed to be going on, the various legislative changes that are supposed to take place in transitioning from a uh, written record system to electronic record system. And so I was like, wow, this is extremely exciting. So I began writing. I began using the resources that I had available at the school. I began writing. I began typing up a business plan. I wrote a 51-page business plan. Do you hear me? I wrote a business plan. And I'm talking about I'm incarcerated. I'm using the resources that I have. I have a computer. I wrote out a business plan. And I eventually got uh, the principal of the school to get authorization to give me access to a CD-ROM. And on this CD-ROM, I saved my business plan because it was my goal to put this plan into action. So then after a year of serving without any incidents, without you know, any type of uh, behavior that warrant me staying longer than others, I accumulated enough good time to knock off an entire year of my two-year sentence. And so shortly uh, and, and, uh, into uh, 2006, excuse me, January 6, 2006, <clears throat> I was actually, um, I'm sorry, 2007, I was actually being released into society. And this was my re-entry into society. And trust me, it was definitely different. You know, I had so many questions, so many apprehensions, so many fears, but I knew for a fact that here I am, a black man, fresh off the books, going from reporting to a CO to reporting to a PO. So once again, getting, giving you that may not know this, a correctional officer to a probation officer. I knew for a fact, I cannot give the world any excuses and I knew for a fact I was not going to accept no as an answer. So then I went into work executing God's plan, the one that he gave me while I was in, under incarceration. And so I began working as a personal trainer. I was self-employed. I was a 1099. And I was just trying to work with for as many uh, independent organizations as possible. Uh, I was working with, uh, you know, studios, making sure that I could try to, you know, hustle up, you know, some, some clients. And I was on my hustle. I knew that I couldn't put in an application to go work at a structured commercial gym because they were going to ask about my background. And you know what? Once again, I said I was not going to take no for an answer. So I wasn't going to give anyone an opportunity to tell me no. So I became a personal trainer. I began working for a fitness, a corporate fitness entity. And as a trainer, I quickly rose to the status of fitness manager. And so he promoted me to fitness manager. And as I'm working, as I'm helping with recruiting, training, and developing personal trainers, making his current training staff better, I began to uh, receive notice from the office manager, uh, the property manager, excuse me. And so the property manager, you know, we would have conversations here and there. And he asked me if I'd ever thought about owning my own business. And I was like, well, you know, I'm kind of like my own business at the current moment as an independent contractor. He's like, yeah, well, there's a contract here uh, and at a few other locations. And we're not exactly happy with the, the vendor that we have now that you're working for. But if you were interested in possibly taking over the contract and you had an official business, 
you know, then maybe you could actually put in a, you know, a proposal to assume the contract or win the contract in, in terms of a bid. And I was like, really? I'm like, I was flattered. But then also I was looking at it from a sense, well, man, this, this guy, he gave me an opportunity to work with him and for him. And now all of a sudden I'm going to become his competition. And you know what? I looked in the mirror and I was like, you know what? You're going to do this because this is an opportunity and you have to fight for everything that you have. Life has not been exactly what you thought it was going to be. You thought just because you went to school, you got good grades and that you came out of, you know, college with, you know, your degree and you got a job and you were working that that was all to it and that you were good to go. No, life is going to continue to throw curveballs at you that you can never be prepared for. And so, yes, you are going to take this opportunity and yes, you are going to create your business you're going to get it structured. You're going to find out exactly what you need to do. You're going to put it into place and you're going to submit a proposal to this property manager and you're going to win this bid. And here it was. Here I am in 2007. We're talking about, I mean, this is almost like six months after I've been released. Here I am forming a company. I'm naming it Healthy Fit and I'm actually putting in for a bid. One year, I mean, we're, we're talking about this. This is less than a year from my release from prison. I'm like, is this supposed to happen? Can this be happening? And Rise of Purpose Nation, I won that bid. And not only did I win that bid, not only because of my hard work, my dedication, my refusal to succumb to the stereotype of a Black man from incarceration, holding my head down, keeping my head down, staying low and thinking that I'm not worthy. I knew I was worthy. I knew for a fact that I should not have been where I was. I was told on a weekly basis while I was incarcerated, why are you here? You don't belong here. Why are you here? You're in here for that. I know people who've done things 10 times worse than that. And you're here for that. He's like, you don't belong here. And that fed into my soul. That was exactly the, the things that I needed on a week-by-week -week basis. I was being fed exactly what my soul needed. And so when I was released, I did what I had to do. I had no excuse. I wasn't going to make any excuses. So from establishing that contract to beginning to work that contract, I began acquiring clients that you would not believe. 90% of my clients with Healthy Fit when I first started off were attorneys. And then the other 10% were politicians. One took me under her wing and I love her to this day. She took me under her wing and she began to teach me life all over again. And so here it is, I'm at the age of 31 and I'm learning life again. And so I'm learning I'm, I'm her, you know, she's mentoring me and I'm just there soaking up everything. And here it is. I go through training with her and she invites me to a picnic at the White House. I'm like, wow. She's like, I just need your information and uh, just got to, you know, run it through security. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, here it is. She's going to find out about my background and then 
she's going to tell me that she could no longer work with me. And I, just all these doubts came into my mind. I created all these doubts in my head. I created these. these. This is nothing that came from her. I created these doubts and fears in my head. So I gave her my information. And she came back. She's like, you're good to go. So here it is. I'm talking about this is in 2008. I had an opportunity to sit on the front lawn of the Capitol and see President Barack Obama being uh, inaugurated. And I had the opportunity to enjoy a picnic with the Obamas in the backyard of the White House. Why is the purpose nation? The moral of this story is out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the failed clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of a chance, my head is bloody but embowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and should find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments to scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is Invictus. Invictus meaning unconquerable in Latin. This poem was written by William Ernest Henley and is about the courage in the face of death and holding on to one's own dignity despite the indignities life places before us. So when you look at what I went through and when you hear this, I want you to understand that you are unconquerable. You have to control your thoughts. You have to make sure that you understand who you are and whose you are. You build yourself up from the inside out and you make sure you do not allow anyone, anything or any system to control you and put you in a place where you are unsure about who you are and what you have the capabilities of doing. So Rise of Purpose Nation, I want you to repeat after me. Say, I can, I will, I must know better, do better, and be better. Rise of Purpose Nation, thank you for joining me today. Be sure to subscribe, share, and follow me on Instagram for updates on future podcasts. I will continue to share things like this with you. I will continue to bring something of relevance to you. Hopefully, you enjoy this podcast for today. And I am on all of your favorite podcast stations. I am on iTunes. I am on Spotify. I am on Google. I am on Amazon. Make sure you subscribe and share this. Rise of Purpose Nation. Until next time. Continue to know better, do better, and be better. My name is David Rochelle III, and continue to lift as we rise. Peace.